right, good morning, everyone. So today we're going to be continuing on with the next installment of our Nehemiah series. So would you turn your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter six? Now, just for a quick recap um, for what has gone on before this, uh, remember we have our main guy, Nehemiah. God stirs in his heart a calling to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. And so he receives permission from the king of Persia uh, he goes, he inspects the walls, he mobilizes the people, and finally, after four months of prayer and preparation, he leads the Jews in this rebuilding process. Now, the last two weeks, we've covered chapters four and five, and, and so we know that this process was not without its challenges. If you remember, Nehemiah and the Jews, they faced major opposition everywhere they turned, right? You've got your enemies from the outside who are physically trying to attack them. And if it couldn't get any worse, you have your injustice and oppression from within that's also threatening them as well. And yet all of this opposition never stood a chance. It never stood a chance. And let me ask you, what, what do you think their secret was? I mean, how did they do this? I believe that Pastor Ben let us in on that secret last week. You guys remember the Korean word that he taught us? Let's say it all together. Ready? Nunchi. It was an awareness of being in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God and choosing to fear that God and not man. That's how they stood firm in the face of opposition. Now, now what is that even? What, what is the fear of God or, or the fear of man? I think it's complex, but if you want to boil it down, think about the fear like a holy respect, a holy respect for something that leads to submission, a holy respect that leads to submission. So if you fear God, then you have this holy respect and reverence for who he is, which leads you to obey him. But if you fear man, then instead you have this holy respect for people and people's opinions, which leads you to obey man. For Nehemiah, the secret to defeating opposition was this. Don't fear man, fear God. Don't fear man, fear God, because the one who fears the Lord fears no man. And we're going to see this in chapter six today. So at this point, um, Nehemiah finds himself dealing with more threats. And once again, our three favorite guys, Sanbalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they're back at it again, and they're trying at all costs to stop the rebuilding of the walls. Now, now, if you remember, these three were introduced to us a few chapters back, and they've been really present this whole time in the background, lurking and plotting against Nehemiah and the Jews, doing everything they can to mess with the project, but with absolutely no luck. And so chapter six is like this final desperate Hail Mary attempt to stop the rebuilding. And you read with me starting in verse one. It says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me sent to Nehemiah, saying, come and let us meet together at Hakephirim in the plain of Ono. So the three of them, they hear about the progress on the wall, and they're starting to get a little worried at this point. 
I mean, think about it. They've been they've been trying since even before the rebuilding began to stop them, and not one of their attacks have succeeded. So they come up with this plan. Let's call it Plan A. Okay, Plan A is to send Nehemiah a letter. And in that letter, there's this invitation that says, come, come meet us in the plain of Ono. Now for some context, um, the, the plain of Ono was a, an area about 37 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It, it was probably more than a day's journey away from where Nehemiah was. And so this place would have been a very long trek for Nehemiah. It, it would have stalled his work at least a few days. And on top of that, going there would have removed him from the protection and the walls, um, the, the safety that the walls provided for him. I mean, the city itself is geographically on higher ground. And so you think, if you think about it from like a military standpoint, Nehemiah would be leaving his advantage of being on higher ground and going down to the plain of Ono to meet them. And this would have exposed him to considerable danger along the way, right? And, and that was exactly their plan. They, they wanted to lure him away. I mean, maybe kidnap him or, or kill him even and leave the city vulnerable to attack. And so Nehemiah receives this letter and, and this is his response. He says, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. See, Nehemiah could see right through their plan, right? He, he knew that these were his enemies. He, he didn't give in. He didn't get distracted. Instead, he just focused on the work of the Lord, and he didn't give in to the fear. Remember that for, for Nehemiah, the one who fears the Lord fears no man. And so clearly this didn't work, right? What are you supposed to do now? <laughs> Apparently in their logic, in their minds, you just kind of keep sending the same message over and over again, three more times, hoping for a different result. And they're getting pretty desperate at this point. And yet still nothing is happening. And so they realize, okay, this is not working. We've got to change our tactics. And this is where they come up with plan B. Now, plan B also involved a letter, but this time verse five says it was an open letter. Now, this is this is kind of significant. Uh, official letters were typically rolled up and sealed with an official signet. And so the contents of the letter would remain private. You would know if it were broken. But this open letter implies that the information contained in it was essentially accessible to the public. I mean, it, it probably would have been easy for word to spread. And that's exactly what Sanballat wanted, right? So he, he decides to send this open letter and inside it, he makes up these false rumors about Nehemiah and the Jews. In verse six, it says, in it was written, it's reported among the nations and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You've even set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So come, let's take counsel together and see what they're trying to do. You, now you have these rumors flying around that the 
the Jews are actually planning a huge rebellion and that Nehemiah actually wants to, you know, take over and become king. And, and that's the real reason why they're rebuilding this wall. I mean, they're all completely false, right? And, and Sanballat essentially threatens to report these false claims back to the king of Persia, hoping to scare Nehemiah. And this was their plan. They wanted to scare him into finally agreeing to meet with them in the plain of Ono. But once again, how does Nehemiah respond? He says this, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. I mean, isn't that a pretty incredible response for Nehemiah, right? He, he doesn't entertain it at all. He just shuts it down right then and there and basically says, you're lying. You, you've literally just made all of that, invented all of that in your own mind. Now, again, why would they do that? What are they trying to do? Verse 9 tells us that they wanted them to be afraid, for they all wanted to frighten us. And why? It was so that they would stop working on the wall, stop from the work that it would not get done. I mean, the enemies of God's people wanted Nehemiah and the Jews to fear them. But remember, the one who fears the Lord fears no man. Instead of fearing their threats and their lies, Nehemiah continues in his fear of the Lord, praying, Oh God, strengthen my hands. Now you'd think at this point that Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah's enemies would have, would have given up by now, right? Nope. <laughs> let's, let's move on to plan C, starting in verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let's close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Now we don't know a ton about Shemaiah, but he was most likely a priest. And we're not given the reason why he's confined to his home, but this kind of gives us context, explains why Nehemiah had to go to him. Now, Shemaiah seems like a good guy, right? I mean, he's, he's a fellow Jew, he's, he's a priest, and he's even warning Nehemiah about these enemies who are trying to kill him. He's like, come on, you know, let, let's go, let's hide in the temple, it'll be safe there. But once again, Nehemiah catches on right away. I mean, first of all, going, going and, and hiding in fear of enemies was totally not who Nehemiah was totally out of character. He probably even thought it was disgraceful or cowardly for a leader to do that. And second of all, Nehemiah was a lay person. I mean, he was a regular guy and he knew the rules. He knows that only priests are allowed to go into the holy place in the temple. I mean, going in would have been sinning against God. It, it could have even resulted in death. And so Nehemiah responds, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Once again, Nehemiah does not fall for it. He, he does not fall to the fear of man. And you know, later in verse 12, we, we actually see that Shemaiah was hired as a false prophet by none other than Sanballat and Tobiah. 
what's even more crazy is that in verse 14, we see that it wasn't even just Shemaiah. It was actually a whole bunch of false prophets who were hired and who were involved in this scheme. Verse 13 says, for this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So you see this theme again, right? Nehemiah says they did this so that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin. They, they wanted him to be afraid. They wanted to discredit Nehemiah in the eyes of his people. They wanted him to sin in the eyes of God, and they wanted him to act in fear of them. But yet again, they failed. For the one who fears the Lord fears no man. Now, really quickly, I want to jump uh, down to verses 17 to 19. And, and I want to go down there because I think it gives a little more insight into how deep and how corrupt this opposition really is. I mean, we already see that Sanballat and Tobiah hired a Jewish priest. And so there's already some, some weird fishy infiltration going on, right? And in 17 to 19, we kind of see why. Read it with me. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara. And his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. They spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now remember, Tobiah was an Ammonite. He was not a Jew. But he did have connections with the Jews, particularly with the nobles through intermarriage. Remember, God was against intermarriage with foreign nations, and, and this is the consequence of that. We, we find that Tobiah actually married Shechaniah's daughter. Shechaniah was the son of Ara, and Ara is mentioned in the list of Jewish exiles that returned in Ezra chapter 2. Okay, so Tobiah married in to the family, pretty much. And on top of that, Tobiah's son married the daughter of Meshulam. And if you go back and see in chapter 3, Meshulam is someone who actually helped build portions of the wall. So you see how this gets a little bit complicated, right? Like Nehemiah is facing opposition, not only from outside foreign enemies, but he's also dealing with this internal opposition and betrayal from his own people. The nobles even, the nobles who were tied to these foreign enemies who it says were bound by oath and whose allegiance was not to the Lord. They didn't fear God, they feared man. Now, why is this such a big deal? Let me ask you a question. What do you think fear does to us? What does fear do to a person? Fear causes us to become a slave to the very thing we are afraid of. What we fear has power over us. And like the nobles, they became, they became bound like slaves to Tobiah. They became bound like slaves to man. Remember the one who fears the Lord fears no man. And we see that this is ultimately true. 
Are you, are you ready for this part? This is, this is the part that we've been waiting for for six chapters, okay? Read with me in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Can you believe that? I mean, 52 days. 52 days to complete the entire restoration of the wall and while simultaneously fighting opposition from all sides. I mean, think about it. This is not just some like dinky little wall we have in our backyards. This is like huge. And remember, this is the wall that has been in ruins for 140 years. And now in just 52 days, it's finished. Now, what's incredible is what we see in 16. It says, when all of their enemies heard of it, when they saw it for themselves, all the nations were afraid. Afraid. They were afraid. Do you see the irony in the situation, right? This whole time, this whole chapter, they've been trying to make Nehemiah and the Jews fear them. And now it is they who are afraid. And it says they fell greatly in their own esteem. They were disheartened. They were discouraged. They were humbled. Yes, because they had failed, but also because they came face to face with the power of God at work. And this part is just amazing. It says, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Nehemiah and the Jews, like they knew that this was not uh, through their own effort, right? They knew that. But here it says that even their enemies knew it. Even their enemies began to fear the Lord. When you think about it like that, when you think about who God is in comparison to man, who deserves our fear? I mean, think about it like this. Have you ever seen someone who's afraid of spiders come across a spider? Let me tell you from my own experience. <laughs> a few years ago, I was um, I was still in college. I, I was back home visiting my family, and you know it was it was a normal day. I, I woke up. I was about to go take a shower, and you know as I'm about to step inside the tub, all of a sudden I see this huge spider, huge spider, and between you and me, okay, honestly, it was really probably only like that big, but to me, it was massive, and I start screaming, and I'm like calling out to mom, dad, you know, anyone who's home, and no one was answering me, and I was freaking out, I mean, I, I was about to ready, I was about ready to never shower in that bathroom again, right, then I realized that someone's home, my grandma's downstairs, and so I just start yelling, Amma, there's a spider. Can you kill it for me? And a minute later, she pops her head into the bathroom. She grabs a paper like no big deal. And she just turns to me. She looks at me and we just start busting out laughing, laughing at how ridiculous the situation is. And she says to me, the, the, the spider is so small compared to you. What are you so afraid of? When we take a step back and we gain a little perspective, we see that fearing man is like fearing this little, tiny, harmless spider. 
And it's nothing in comparison to fearing the Lord God Almighty, fearing the one who simply spoke and created life out of nothing, the one who has power over the winds and the waves and who makes the lame walk and the blind to see. I mean, we're talking about the almighty God of the universe, the one who defeated sin and death itself on the cross. I mean, let's have a little perspective here. If we're going to be afraid, like, who should we be afraid of? How can we not fear a God like that? In the words of my grandma, with, with a few tweaks, man is so small compared to God. So what are you so afraid of? Many of you know I, I'm the worship director here at CLC. Um, I lead worship every week, but most of you don't know my story in getting here. I was a very shy kid, very quiet. I, I was always afraid to sing in front of people. It's very self-conscious. But I remember I always had this secret desire to sing for worship. I mean, I loved worship. Now, one day the church wanted some kids to, you know, perform and sing a duet in the big service. And so they chose me and they chose this other girl. And one day we're, we're in the sanctuary and we're practicing and let me just tell you, this girl was amazing. Like her voice was incredible. And I started to get a little insecure. And I started to think, oh, you're not good enough for this. Like she's so much better than you. You should just quit now and let someone else do it. And I remember distinctly, I, I was practicing and I was struggling a little bit. And I look up and I start to see these girls in, in the very back pews and they're whispering and they're laughing and pointing at me. And I overheard them saying, she's so bad, she doesn't deserve the part. And I felt so defeated. These girls were like my spider in the shower. I mean, I was so afraid of their opinions of me. And I began to focus on them instead of on God. Yes, I sang the duet, but I never had the courage or the confidence to sing for worship again. Years go by, and now I'm in college. And, and one of the worship leaders in uh, my fellowship, ACF, dropped out last minute. And, and they were scrambling. They were they're panicking. They wanted to find someone to fill in as a worship leader. And this time, this desire came up again. And I really felt like God was calling me to do it. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what, but I just felt he wanted me to say yes. But I was still afraid. I was afraid of people's judgment and their opinion and and this fear really almost stopped me once again from obeying God. But this time, I remember I, I prayed to the Lord and he reminded me of what it says in Isaiah 41. Do not, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, for I am with you. And by his grace, I've been leading worship ever since. You see, it's not that I stopped fearing, it's that I started fearing the right thing. For the one who fears the Lord fears no man. If you're like me at all, you've struggled with the fear of man too. I mean, when you think about it, the problem is really making man so much bigger than God. Making man so much bigger than God. And maybe you're like me and you, you know, you elevate the opinions and approval of people so much that your worth and your value is dependent upon it. Or maybe this fear causes you to please people, whether it's your parents, your, your friends, your, your boss, 
society, you know, so much that you obey them instead of God. Maybe for you, it's not an approval or, or a people-pleasing thing, but it's a situation that's out of your control. Maybe like a pandemic. <laughs> and you feel so helpless and defeated and, and afraid. Maybe it's criticism or insecurity that keeps you from fulfilling the call that God has for your life. The fear of man can look like so many different things. And if we allow it to take hold of us, if we give in to that fear, we will always stand defeated. But if we fear the Lord and remember who he is, we will never be afraid of anything. And God will use us to accomplish great things for his glory. Nehemiah knew the secret. He knew the fear of the Lord. And so he never gave in to the fear of man. But you know what? You and I have something that even Nehemiah didn't. You and I have Jesus. We have the confidence in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed, but who rose again victorious over all things and who says, take heart for I have overcome the world. The one who fears the Lord Fears no man. Let's pray. Almighty and all powerful and sovereign God, we praise you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you promised in your word that you are with us, that you go before us, and that you fight for us, that we do not need to be afraid. Lord, forgive us when we make man so much bigger than you. And remind us every day of the victory that you have already won on the cross. We love you so much, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.